Holly Cotton here, and you guys know my story of being a breast cancer survivor and how serious October is for me and all of the other millions of breast cancer survivors because even though we go through survivorship every day, it's definitely nice to have this month where we can bring awareness to people who don't think they're even at risk, also to highlight the people who have survived, and then also to acknowledge and pay our respects for those who did not survive and just have their story that is left with us. So I am so excited about our guest today. I have Dr. Jackie Colbert, and she is going to tell us all about her story and then also what she's doing with her story as well to be the change that we need. So welcome, Dr. Colbert. Thank you so much for having me, Holly. I'm super excited to be here with you as a fellow fellow survivor as well. It's such an important month. So it's it's my pleasure to be here to spend this time with you. Yes, yes. And before we started recording, we actually were having the conversation that so many women have all the time. And that is we didn't ask to be in this sisterhood. We didn't ask to be joined together in this. I always say, you know what? the Lord could have chose something else. Can we just, can we all just, <laughs> can I just be happy? We're all from Louisiana or we all have a pinky toe, whatever it is. I didn't need to be in this, this survivor sistership, but yet here we are. And I know Dr. Colbert, you'll tell us about some of, some of the people and the populations and, and some of those interesting facts that people don't know of, but I know that you too have been with people that are going through the fighting or going through their treatment, going through whatever it is, remission, and then have succumbed to the actual cancer. So it's almost, it's almost an appreciation that we have for life that we wouldn't have had before, because you realize how many women are walking in your shoes and you're still here after this diagnosis that so many women did not survive. So yeah. First, Dr. Colbert, can you tell us, because everyone wants to know a, a great survivor story, so can you just share with us your story of, of your cancer journey? Absolutely. So uh, 15 years of survivorship, I, I want to acknowledge the point that you just made that it's a little bit bittersweet in a way, because while I'm surviving and thriving, and so are you, and so are so many others, based upon a number of different protocols. There are some that who didn't make it. So I want to honor them in this moment. Um, in my 15 year of survivorship, my, my story is not unlike that of many women who've been diagnosed. I found a lump right before my 40th birthday um, that was unexpected. Couple of weeks after I'd had a full physical well woman exam, nothing was there in the shower doing what people do in the shower, getting clean and felt the slump, call my doctor and went back and forth for an inordinate amount of time because she just couldn't believe that there was a lump in my breast from having seen me a little uh, prior to that. To fast forward my story, you know, based on my own persistence and knowing my body the way that I do, I was like, you know what? I've been living in this thing for a long time. Something ain't right. You're going to see me. Finally, advocating for myself, I was able to have a mammogram. And long story short, it ended up being a little over stage one breast cancer. I'm grateful to, to have had 
the wherewithal and the insight at that point in time to say, look, I want this thing out of my body. I want you to clip it, cut it out, burn it, give me whatever you've got to give me. Went through a year of chemotherapy, radiation, and also surgeries to wear. Um, and then my own all natural path that I'm a big fan of to, to be here and to talk about how I continue to survive and thrive. And by the way, I know what a big fitness fan you are. So fitness was definitely a part of my journey and continues to be a part of my journey. But I start off in, in ground, grounding this conversation by saying, being aware, really being attuned to doing my monthly breast exam and advocating for myself was pivotal in, in the acknowledgement and getting to the point where I forced a conversation about having a mammography. And unfortunately, I didn't want to be told that it was breast cancer, but that was the diagnosis. And I was able to quickly begin the protocol that I went through. Yes. And I love that you keep saying that word about advocacy, because that is the biggest thing, especially people that are in the healthcare field. And also, I know you did say about all, you being a, a breast advocate and, and research liaison as well. But that's the huge thing people don't realize if you don't speak up for yourself, there's so many times you will get swept under the rug. So I'm, exactly. I'm glad you keep saying that. Exactly. You know, the old saying, closed mouths don't get fed. Mm -hmm. Closed mouths, is, there will be no advocacy if your mouth remains closed. You've got to be the biggest advocate for you. And irrespective of if it's breast cancer or some other abnormality, you must be your biggest fan that's cheering you on and knowing when things aren't right, being so attuned to self that when things are off kilter, there's a call to action. And that call to action has to be, I need to phone a friend. I need to call a doctor, you, you, you know, whatever it is, what you, what you call your good girlfriend or your guy friend about, mm -hmm. help somebody to talk you through it and really kind of get to cognition to where action is taken. Oh, for sure. You got to, it's got to be, uh, um, sometimes you have to be rude about it too. Like you guys are not going to play with me and my health. No, absolutely not. <laughs> not, nice, not ever. <laughs> yeah. Nice guy can only last for so long. Then after that, it's like, you know what? You got me messed up. Mm -mm, mm -hmm. I'm not the one. Mm -hmm. I'm not the one. <laughs> I'm feeling you here. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys, I'm looking at Dr. Colbert's, uh, all of her stuff on her bio and all of the, the things and all of the awesome things that she's doing. So can you tell us, because I just, I said this when I was, I was talking recently when I was being interviewed and I always, I always give this, this example of when people go through something traumatic, that's life-changing there, there are two ways that they process it. Either the first way is they go through it, they deal with it and they bury it. And they said, I'm not talking about it anymore. I just want to be done with it. I survived it. And now I'm out of here. Or there's the other side where there are people that deal with it. And then they wake up and they're, they're saying, wow, I'm still here for a reason. What am I going to do with this? Why am I here? Maybe this is defining a purpose that I should be living in life. Yeah. So you obviously were on the other side <laughs> because you took that and you started a whole trajectory into not only just being a survivor and not only just 
be, you know, speaking up and, and being an advocate, but creating a whole program to help other women thrive and, and pay for medical expenses. So tell us about your organization and how you started. Cause no one just wakes up and they're like, you know what, I'm going to make this happen and poof, it's done. Like there is a whole process that you have to go through. So tell us about how you came up with that, the process of it and what you guys are doing with that organization. So for full disclosure, unfortunately, while I was diagnosed in 2008, uh, cancer took my dad in 2007. He passed away from prostate cancer. And in eulogizing my dad, I made a couple of promises to him. At that point in time, I hadn't earned my doctoral degree. And I made a promise when I was eulogizing him that I would go back to school. At the same time, starting in 2006 into 2007, I was working at Dell Technologies and I'd started doing work with the Susan G. Komen Foundation, always running 5Ks. And then later on with the Livestrong Foundation, I would do 5Ks and help raise money for those um, organizations. And so when I was diagnosed, I got to keep it honest and keep it real because that's just who I am. Part of me wanted to keep it quiet. Let me, let me uh, qualify why. Here it was. I was this fit chick, ex-military. I'd be doing boot camp. I was training people, doing all of this stuff. Honestly, I, I'm one of the cleanest eaters and picky eaters that you would meet. So it was so jarring to learn that I had this thing, right? Yep. Same, same. I was like, not me. Exactly. Like, where, where would this thing come from? I'm, I'm a pescatarian. I don't eat pork. I don't eat eggs. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm buff girl, blah, 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 blah. So I kept it quiet for a while, but then I got mad. And I said, I'd be damned if I can just help one woman to not have to go through what I went through. I have to do something about it. Once I was settled and, and you know, I, I have to zoom back out and also acknowledge that in my diagnosis, the initial fear that lasted for just a little bit was quieted down when God said to me, be still and know that I'm God. I'm still in the miracle business and you're going to be cancer free. And even when the doctors were telling me that cancer was still in my body, I was acting as though there was no cancer there. So that was my belief. And I wanted to extend that. I started doing little things around positive psychology, which I was just doing everyday things about that. And so when I did my dissertation work and I wrote about sisterhood, that just naturally, everything was a, a bit of an evolution. I don't want to send a message that I just did one hard swipe and kaboom, I came up with the organization. It was incremental adds to doing this body of work. Without belaboring the point, but getting very specific, around 2017, 2018 is when I said I wanted to formalize this and really go big in driving education, driving awareness, and ah, much so needed funds for people who at times they have the benefits, but benefits only cover so much. At times they're not able to work like this month, we're helping to pay the rent of someone who is going through chemotherapy and is unable to afford rent. Or last year, being able to have 25 women being supported with their mammography so they don't have to do it. So this work is soul work. It is passion work. It is intentional work. And dare I say, it's part of the reason why I'm in the sisterhood. God knew who he was giving it to, right? Because nothing happens unless he allows it to happen. Um, 
And so I, I, I delight in getting up every day and thinking about what else I could do to effectuate change in this area. And through my organization, Sipping Positivity, Sipping Positivity was born out of, you know, when you call your girlfriend and you're like, hey girl, I got some tea. What's the tea? So my thought was, if you're going to give out tea, make, it, make sure that it's positive. And so let's sip some real tea, sip responsibly, sip positivity. And so the positive psychology is associated with better health and good health. So I enveloped my thinking, the science behind um, positivity in one's life and the co connection to living a longer and happier life. I love that. I love that. And I'll be honest, I also said this not too long ago because, you know, people love to hear uh, I always say people don't care about your story until you win. So they see it. And, and I love that people are inspired by my story and my survivorship. But I did go through that same period where I was sick of talking about it. I, I just, I wanted to just bury it. I was like, okay, I survived it. I'm done. I was mad because I lost that independence that I had. And now here I have to start learning, you know, I was doing pull-ups all the time. Now I can't even do a push-up, and it's like a level of, and I tell people all the time, I said, I'll, I'll never be able to do a push-up or a pull-up again because of scar tissue, but you won't outwork me. I'm not, that's, uh, you have to find other ways to define being strong. And, and so doing that and relearning myself, it was a hard process. And I, I was mad too. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't want not one more pink thing. Don't give me a ribbon don't give me a pink shirt I don't want a bracelet yeah. I'm just I'm sick of it I'm yeah. sick of it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or you get the people oh oh I heard about it or you know it just now they're it's on the tiptoes so there are so many things because people don't understand how to approach especially women but I think breast cancer and being in this sisterhood has has just made me understand that women are so high functioning and we are so independent and we're doing all of these things. So there's not a lot of breast cancer, whether you just got diagnosed, whether you're a survivor or whatever, there's not a lot of women that are sitting around crying about it. No. Most women have that same attitude. They're like, all right, let's get it popping. What do we need to, right, right. The fight, the fight, the fight. And so I love that you, you, you're doing all of that. And, and I love that you also talked about the, the issues that people have coming from having that sickness and people don't realize that because you, you, you're going through the treatment, but you don't realize about the money that you're losing. You can't work. I mean, thankfully for me being a nurse, I was able to just go on like a light duty, um, um, work at work or whatever. They let me just do light duty where I, I could at least be in the office and stuff. But right. had I lost my job, you know, my, my kids, everything, people don't, it's not just sending a, you know, basket of, uh, of muffins or something. These are people and having to get up. I remember my kids being small and, and they're looking at me like, are we going to eat dinner today? And I'm like, Oh my God, I just want to take care of me. <laughs> like I need, I got to rest. I have to rest. So can you tell us, I know you guys, like you said, you guys are um, doing that where you uh, adopt a person, where you're helping a person, you're sponsoring a person. Can you just give us some more scenarios of some things just so people can understand some of that realistic comparison? Let, let me give you the real deal. 
as I sit in front of you today, I still deal with neuropathy in my fingers and my toes. But if you come to my house for the most part, I'm anal retentive. I'm a clean freak. But you're going to find laundry sitting around somewhere because I'm still struggling with the, 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 the ability to feel clothing sometimes. It is unnerving. And so we deal with some scenarios where I work with an organization it's called ABC and they help with lymphatic drainage. So we donated funds to them last year through our fundraising such that if someone is reaching out to us and they're having a, an issue with their lymph, um, their lymphatic system, they can go to that organization, have a lymphatic drainage session or two. That's one example. Another example is the rent that we're paying two months of rent for someone. I'll be honest with you that I've cut across the confines of just breast cancers because these cancers are related. A couple of months ago, we helped someone who was diagnosed with lung cancer out of the blue, who had a family member where there's connectedness with breast cancer and was able to donate $2,500. So there isn't, I always say there isn't a straight line in the work that we do. It's very dynamic. It's not linear. And um, unfortunately, there are several underrepresented groups. Black folks are being outpaced in terms of the numbers. I'm not sure if I had the opportunity to share that. I sit on the consumer peer review board with the Department of Defense Breast Cancer Program, and just recently went through 10 different protocols that are up this, their research is being done. And just each and every time I receive a research proposal, I cringe because it speaks to black and brown people who are being, again, having out, an outsized number and a percentage of how quickly we are being diagnosed. I have to do something. I have to do something. So whether sometimes it's education and awareness, sometimes it could be someone calling me to say, I just need somebody to go with me to the rose and help talk me through the realities of my situation. So it's education, it's awareness, but the biggest thing that's really needed is the funding. And so sometimes some of those funding, the last part that I would add is that someone may need help with housekeeping. And, and one may say, as they're listening to this, housekeeping, you should be able to clean your own house. You don't know until you're going through it, how terrible it can feel. Sometimes people think they do need to bring a, a casserole over to you. Oftentimes it's less about the casserole. It's like, take my kids for a little bit just so I can rest, give my brain a rest. And I, I, I see that you have some relatability as it relates to, to um, some of the challenges associated with it. And later this month, we're going to showcase, I, I can't divulge the person's name right now, someone who's going to share their story because we do keep it confidential who we give funds to. We reported in our annual report how funds are being allocated, but we want people to feel that they can come to us. And if there's a need for financial assistance, that it will be kept in confidence until such time that they tell us that it's okay to share that information. Yeah, that's good too. Cause a lot of people are very, uh, I don't want to say we're prideful, but it's, I, I don't, because when you say prideful, I think a lot of people feel that there's a negative connotation with that word, but I think you should be prideful. And I think that that is your character or that's a, a good characteristic that you should have because 
being prideful means that you've worked hard, that you that you are excited about something, that you're proud of something. So whenever that's taken away from you, sometimes you get humbled and you people struggle with that. Well, should I ask for help? Should I not? Mm -hmm. And and then that I'm a proud person. I'm independent. I never struggle. So it does. It humbles you. I always say I, I got humble real quick. Mm -hmm. I thought I was rope. I was rolling around. I, you couldn't touch me. And then all of a sudden, boom, I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even put my hair in a ponytail. No. And I'm, yeah, I'm like, well, as soon as, as soon as I was able to put my hair in a ponytail, I literally remember crying because I was so excited. I could stretch my arms enough to put my hair in a ponytail. Mm -hmm. So I, I just kept saying to myself, this is the weakest. I'll, I'll never be here again. I'll never be this weak. You know, I just, that was my way of, of helping myself. And, and I don't want anyone to feel like this. What can I do to make other people? How can I share my story? Mm -hmm. Because no one told me this was what to expect. Right. <laughs> right. That's the biggest and especially thing. Especially when it was so unexpected to start with. Because you right. profile yourself and you do so much around preventive care. And, and I know both of us wouldn't want anybody to walk away from this conversation thinking that preventive care is not important. It still is important. But sometimes the predisposition based upon your family genetics and different things like that. And sometimes, dare I say, in my situation, it might have been a combination of stress and the fact that there's a connection now between prostate cancer in men and their daughter. Mm -hmm. So so they're, they're, this thing has got tentacles all over the place and being, being proud of who one is and, and holding themselves to a certain standard of where, you know, whether you're saying I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or, okay, I got Christ on my side, but faith without works is dead. So I'm gonna get up and do this thing. And then all of a sudden they cut into your lymph nodes and you can't do push-ups. Are you kidding me? This is problematic. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then you see at, at the beginning, I was, you have to start, you have to start even changing those, those different standards. Cause at first it was, it, it was this marker is I can't ever do a push up or I can't do a push up. So then you start going down on that. Okay. Well, I can't do, well, can't, well, dang, I can't even put my hair in a ponytail. Well, dang, I can't even lift my arms to put my arms in a shirt. Well, dang, you know, it's just, it just keeps getting chopped down and, and the bare minimum is like, well, dang, can I at least just put some eyeshadow on what, whatever it is. It's just, yeah, <laughs> you start getting humbled real quick. Yeah. You think you're, I'm going right back over here and I'm going to get it going. And a lot of women don't. And, and also, I do also want to just ask about this as well, because I know you deal with a lot of breast cancer women and survivors. And one of the things that I was kind of just talking to someone recently was about scars and a physical appearance. And, you know, I was talking to a woman, she got diagnosed and she wound, she uh, wound up going for um, a lumpectomy. And so, you know, she was asking me about scars and she's like, well, but you don't have scars. And you, I was like, girl, I'm full of scars. It's just that they are no longer what defines me. So I'm gonna wear a bikini. I got, I, I had to get a hysterectomy. I've got, I've got laparoscopic scars all over my stomach. They knew they didn't even try to hide them, at least blend them in with my belly, nothing. They yeah. just went straight. Yeah. <laughs> like, can y'all help me out? But they don't care. Nope. So, so how do you guys, because I know that's something that's sort of on the mental health part, but I know a lot of women deal with the insecurities and, and that part, because once you realize you survive, once you get your rent paid, once you get your bills paid or whatever, 
it's real life and it's living with this forever. So what kind of resources or, or some of the things that you guys do talk about for, for that life after when the reality hits, when the woman is there now, she has to survive. Well, I've got those scars from the Ruta to the Tuta. And I do like them to look better. And it's been a continual process for me to get them to look better because you know what? Most days I'm fairly confident, but at the end of the day, it's like Dr. Maya said, I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. And I don't want to have these scars. There is an amazing organization here locally. It's called Beat and Blade. And just this month, what they're doing, they started doing it recently is helping with areola tattooing to help women and they're extending it to other parts of the body i haven't even updated that on my website yet um but that's an organization so so it depends on what people come to us with there are times when people come and and based upon my prior medical background what i often find is find is needed first and foremost is getting some level of counseling before you deal with the physical appearance. Although we often start with that. And you can't really tell a person, well, girl, just don't worry about that. You, you, you know, you better be glad you survived. Don't, don't worry. Oh my God. Dr. Colbert, I was about to say that is the main thing. What, but why are you worried? They, it's almost like they make you feel vain. Why? Will you survive cancer? Okay, well, if you survive a car wreck or you survive this, just because you survived doesn't mean you're not wanting to still feel the way yes. sexy and yeah. No, like don't minimize this. Let me tell you something. I've become more of a fashionista post breast cancer than I've ever been. Because I want to walk in all of the fullness that is me. And, and no, I don't like seeing the scars all of the time. So I think that what I'm saying here is that it has to be both. And I hope that the audience listening understands that um, one size doesn't fit all. There is that woman or that man out there because men, some men are diagnosed with chest cancer as well, who may go down the path and say, this means nothing to me. Boo, 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 boo. Here's my battle scar. I applaud you for that. But then there's the other faction that wants to deal with the fullness of getting back to full self. And I think that whether it's, you know, I may say to a person, hey, make sure that you're seeking out counsel, talk to your medical practitioner first, but here's a repository of resources and beat and blade is, that's available locally. This is, here's some work that they're doing. Um, we can offer a gift certificate for you to go get the tattooing if that's what you want. Try it out first. So the conversation, again, it's not always here's the straight path to it. It's a very dynamic way. And, and what I like about it, my organization is small but mighty. And, but, and there isn't a week that go by that I'm not talking to someone who is either having a fear that they may have breast cancer or they're actually going through it and they have a different type of need to where I'm reaching out to the rose or, you know, my assistant and or my board that's on staff that together we mobilize, we mobilize the network and the sisterhood to help them out. But, but yeah, lastly, let's not act as though how one looks and how one feels isn't connected and it's not important. We minimize people when we do that. Excellent points. And you heard that. You heard that. Okay. Yes. 
So, so the last question that I have for you, and, and then we'll go into how everyone can support and follow and all that great stuff. But the last question that I have for you is, I find that people that, especially that are in nonprofit, but also that are in nonprofits with sick individuals or people who maybe don't have the best outcomes. I know a lot of people may have nonprofits where they help underserved youth get this or do jobs or do that like there's always some something that you can do the person can come back in 10 years and they got their doctor doctorate or they're you know they're a surgeon now whatever it's all there's always these positive stories but unfortunately when we're talking about something that has to do with with wellness and cancer and illness you're it maybe it doesn't always go in the direction that you want and so I have a question, and this is for you as the person that's organizing this, because I know there are so many times that you do start helping a woman and she passes away from it. Because, of course, you never know, especially with cancer, what stage it is, how your body is going to process it, are you able to recover? And, and so I know I'm not even in as in such a dominant field as you, I just am sort of on the outside as an advocate. But like you said, you talk to people every week that something is going on. So how does that affect your mental health? And I know you talked about religion earlier, so I don't know if that's what you use, but how do you protect your mental health and, and keep such a positive attitude because you, you have to speak life into everyone. And, and sometimes even me as a nurse, cause I'm also a practicing nurse and I'll look at something and I'm like, mm. or people will ask me and I'm like, mm, it ain't going to be good. You know? And they're like, why would you say that? And I'm, it's realistic. I'm trying, I want you to be prepared. I'm <laughs> there. They will never walk again or they will never, you know, so it's hard. I, 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 I know you want to hear positivity, but it may not be positive. So how do you deal with those things to keep yourself where you don't get discouraged and you keep yourself in such a, a good and positive mentality? I have to be in tune with reality. I cannot be out of touch with reality. The fact that one in eight women will be diagnosed and that one in eight women does not even include the uh, underrepresented population of black and brown women, that number is even higher. Um, I have to deploy the whole thing, all of the things to get this head space together and to get my heart space together. Uh, that means my faith is, is, is deployed on a daily basis, but I also do things like I really am an exercise junkie to, to, to get the stress out of my system because it saddens me when unfortunately you I'll get connected to a woman or a couple of women who are going through it and we'll, we'll talk, 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 talk. And then all of a sudden, you know, things are going well. And then, you know, when you're not hearing from this person, things are going in a bad way. So I have to really like gird myself up and prepare for the worst case scenario. And so Holly, I, I, I keep it real again. Um, I do exercise twice a day in the morning. I do my meditation and some level of cardio and resistance training. And just based upon, I do have a full-time job. I'm, a, I'm an executive at Google that keeps me pretty busy. So at night I do have to do a certain level of decompression just to kind of get stuff out of my system, meditation and prayer and good old fashioned. Sometimes it's calling mom. It's phoning a friend. It's, it's, 
Look, as clean as I eat, some days I have to have a glass of wine or two, or maybe I'll go to Bluebell's ice cream if all else fails. I just believe in keeping it real. So I say all of that to say this, life is about balance. No one man is an, is an island. No one woman is an island. I'm not a, on an island by myself. Uh, literally today, it, it, in addition to praying to God, something happened and, and my friend of many years heard me drop the F-bomb. Yes, people, sometimes I drop the F-bomb because I get frustrated just like everybody else. And, and in dropping the F-bomb, I got, I got a little bit of stale air out of my system and I'm like, okay, Jesus, let's rock and roll. Let's do this thing. Uh, lastly, I do have a counselor that I speak to because you know I'm also a certified life and, and executive coach. And with all of the fancy little letters that are behind my name, we each need to have, you call it your own board of directors, your sister circle, or whatever it is, you've got to have that small unit that you can go to and not suggesting that you go to them all the time with the problems of the world, but it's give and take. Lastly, I will say this, Dr. Maya Angelou has always said that if you walk through life with two, a catcher's myth on both hands, then all you're doing is preparing to catch and you're holding on to it. So I have one hand open at all time in preparation to throw back. I believe in reciprocity. And so I give the same level of advice to others who are going through it to know that it's a serious head game at times. And when you lose people, whether it's somebody that's calling me from or talking to me in Louisiana or New York City, where I was a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't matter. There's a connectedness that you build with people and you want to see them win. And sadly, the reason why I'm doing this important work is to make sure that more of us will win and survive and thrive through this disease. But I recognize that when failure comes about, I've got to keep myself strong in order to be able to do more. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I always I, I always ask those kinds of questions because I think it's important to, to, to acknowledge whenever people are doing things to give back and how that also takes a toll on that and anything that's related to health and wellness you have zero control at least if it's paying for something or you can guarantee a payment you can guarantee a placement you can guarantee a job or or whatever it is with some of these other nonprofits. but anything to do with wellness and, and health and sickness there is no control over that at all so i know this it's got to be frustrating sometimes especially because you see so many wonderful women and and you want them to have a different outcome or or you you feel kind of helpless and i know that takes a, a toll on on us sometimes to be these nurturers and you can't help so just wanted to ask just wanted to ask okay so tell us how we can support your organization what do you need from listeners how can people follow you get in touch with you all of that great stuff so it, it, the time is, is so ripe for this question because I'm coming up on my fourth annual fundraising gala. It's called Pink and Black. Pink and Black is an ode to, to several things that I love. Amazing fashion, food, fun, and fundraising. And so it's about bringing out the best of uh, H-Town, going on strong, we will have an amazing fashion show. And so I'm encouraging uh, anyone that's listening, if you haven't seen it, go to Eventbrite and type in pink and black. It's happening on 10-21-23. Purchase your ticket to come to the event. 
Now you might be saying out there, well, I don't live where you live, so I can't come to your event. I got you covered. Not to worry. The money is needed and I ain't too proud to beg. No donation is too small, but the bigger you come, because everything is bigger in Texas, do a big fat donation to my organization. You can go to our website. It's www.sipping, then positivity. Positivity is spelled P-O-S-I-T-I-V-I-T-E-A dot org and make a donation. Again, none that is too big or too small. TLC said I ain't too proud to beg. I'm begging again. I would love to get your money because it's helping people and it's making a big difference. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm on all uh, platforms, but Instagram is where you will find me the most. I'm under Dr. Jackie, D-R-J-A-C-Q-U-E, Colbert, C-O-L-B-E-R-T. I would love for you to follow me. Send me a DM. Let me know your thoughts. I love that. I love that. Okay. And I will have all of those websites and things as clickable links. So people, if you look in the podcast notes, you'll be able to go straight to her Instagram, click on it, take, take you straight there. And so do you have any last words that you want to share with us, Dr. Colbert? I do. Um, as much as October is the season for breast cancer awareness, I do want you to know that for those of us who have been in the sisterhood or brotherhood, that it is a daily walk. It is a monthly walk. It's a weekly walk. It is an always on walk. So please do not be hindered or, or be boxed in by the fact that it's just October and then we go away and we do nothing. I do want to, to uh, say to you to be encouraged, be encouraged. Yes, not, not everyone has the best story to tell about their cancer journey, but I do want you to be encouraged, be an advocate for you be intentional, be thoughtful. And as always, if you can help to support someone else, please take the time to do so. Um, I often say that positivity is a verb. It requires action. I was deliberate when I named my organization Sipping Positivity because we want to be responsible about when we take action to help each other. Um, intentionality is at the core. And so as I continue to transform and as I continue to give, I would love to have others who are equally passionate about this work to support me along the way. But again, sip responsibly and sip positivity. Thank you for having me. Of course, I love that, I love that. So that is Dr. Jackie Colbert, you guys. Thank you, Dr. Jackie. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.